Welcome, everyone. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Welcome back to BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Judy Armand, here uh, with my co-host and producer extraordinaire uh, behind uh, our uh, radio program, uh, our podcast, Thomas the Wizard Watts. He uh, always does a great job uh, getting us uh, prepared and ready and uh, on the air for you guys. We're going to record an hour of BAMS Radio. And, of course, our third cohort is with us uh, from uh, 1989 until 93, a member of the Crimson Tide. Uh, and a guy that, uh, you know, won a national championship in 1992, always has unique insight into the program, still very close to Alabama football, uh, and has been for many, many years, and that's William Redfish Barger. Uh, he's now with us. William, uh, welcome back to BAMS Radio. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. How you doing uh, this uh, fine afternoon? Man, I'm doing great. Um, been off of work since uh, last Thursday and don't have to go back until Tuesday. So I'm just uh, enjoying a good life. <laughs> exactly. I think everybody is. Thomas is having a nice break, too. Uh, he does an outstanding job uh, be- trying to become Dr. Thomas Watts. We don't blame him there at all. And uh, he's uh, had a heavy uh, school load as well. And so we uh, we are all enjoying a little break here and some Alabama football. And Alabama in the midst of preparations and finishing uh, they're prepped for Monday night's uh, clash with the Clemson Tigers, Chapter 3. Uh, and this what it's been an unbelievable last two years. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, talk and speculation going on. I guess the, the, the topic du jour, William, for the last uh, few days has been the flu bug hitting the team, uh, including Jalen Hurts, uh, before they left for New Orleans. He did meet the media yesterday, though he did look a little drained just from the pictures and video I saw. Uh, but he sounded pretty good. Sounds like he's been back on the practice field. Tua Tungavailoa had gotten some increased reps uh, during that time when uh, when Jalen was trying to recover. Also, hearing Ronnie Harrison may have had the flu as well. So, need to get that kicked uh, before the national championship game, William, because as we all know, uh, that's been going around. I think uh, in some form or fashion, uh, just about everyone I know has had the crud uh, in the last uh, several weeks. Yeah, it makes me glad I've been up in Tennessee for a week. I think the, uh, you know, if you don't have the stomach virus, everybody um, down that way has a version of bronchitis or an upper respiratory infection. So, uh, but, you know, it's it, it's still three or four days away. They can get fluids in those guys and get them back to square one. It's really not, you know, if this was Sunday um, and this outbreak had taken place, you'd be having a different conversation. But, um, you know, you can still, you know, look at film and, um you know, do your position meetings and stuff. Just because you're not getting physical reps, you can still get mental reps. But they've still, you know, got plenty of time to get those guys back healthy um, before Monday night's game. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting matchup. I know we were talking before Thomas turned the recorder on. And I've kind of done the same thing, gone around and looked at some numbers and and feel a little bit better about the matchup um, than I did the last time that we talked, except – um, from from what I've been able to uh, garner from the numbers, you know the two teams that have had the most success against Clemson this year offensively um, were Syracuse and North Carolina State, and they did their damage through the air. Uh, both of them threw for over 275 yards, and you know I still you know reflect back to um, you know Clemson's defensive line. Um, you know, being a bad matchup for the right side of Alabama's offensive line. Um, you know, you've got at least three guys on that front front four. They're going to be first round draft picks. Um, you know, I only see one guy on Alabama's side that probably fits that mold, um, and he's not on the right side. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. Um, I don't see really. I'll be really surprised if either team can throw up a lot of points. Um, you know, unless Alabama can get something going in the run game, you know, like they did in the first half last year with Bo Scarborough. But, you know, that's why you play the games. And, um, you know, it's, it's been kind of a, a unique experience for me. This is the first game since the 2008 Florida game that I'm going into it with really not a good feeling about Alabama's chances to come out on top. And that's understandable, uh, especially uh, with the last two years and what Clemson's been able to accomplish, and then uh, especially with how Alabama played, not just in the Auburn game, but down the stretch. Uh, I think everyone knows since Texas A&M, they haven't you know, played at, at this high a level, uh, but I do think injuries played a part in that. I do think the defense will be as healthy as it's been since Florida so, State, yet you'll still be without uh, guys like Dylan Moses, who had settled okay, into an expanded role because of Sean Deon Hamilton and a guy like Sean Deon Hamilton a team captain and a guy that 
I think is still one of the most underrated players in the Nick Saban era and, and what he's been able to accomplish. And, of course, Hootie Jones. But I, I will say this, William, uh, and, and uh, I, I'm, I know I'm assuming some things here, but I am excited to see Deontay Thompson play. Uh, when I've seen him in limited reps, now this will be many more snaps in the huge football game, he's impressed me with his physicality and his ability. I, I, I wanna, I, I'm really uh, you know, uh, just excited to see what he brings to the table in this game against Clemson. Uh, perhaps he may surprise them because they, have, they don't have much film of him. And then, of course, Mac Wilson. Uh, we could all tell. I know Jeremy Pruitt was quoted today uh, as the Alabama's defensive group met the media uh, that Mac Wilson was 100% against Auburn or they wouldn't have played him. I think everybody could see uh, that he wasn't running like himself. Uh, he's had you know several more weeks to heal up uh, and uh, should be much healthier. And with this injury to Dylan Moses, uh, he's going to have to play many more snaps. Keith Holcomb likely sliding in uh, to that third down roll. Well, I'll tell you somebody else to keep in, in the back of your hat that's really absolutely killed it in ball practice is Vandarius Cowan. Um, Very good. That's an excellent point. If, don't be surprised if he doesn't take some – if he can get the mental part of it down, if he doesn't take some reps away from Keith Holcomb there um, on the inside. He is, you know, in the first half of the season, um, you know, all you heard was, you know, that him and Fideri and Mathis were the scout team players of the week defensively every week. Uh, you know, due to the injuries at linebacker, they took the, uh, you know, the red shirt status off of Vandarius. I, I was really surprised. I thought um, once, you know, Deshaun Hand and some of those other guys on the D-line got nicked up, I thought they'd do the same thing with Mathis, but that never materialized. But I think, you know, Vandarius Cowan is a guy that the staff feels like can, can certainly help them in this game. But, but you know, going forward is a guy um, – that I think the only reason why he didn't get on the field until later in the year this year is he wasn't an early enrollee. I mean, he's a guy that could, you know, after a winter and a summer in the strength and conditioning program could really be, you know, an impact guy for, for the 2018 defense next year. And that's uh, really exciting. I mean, it's been funny, William, how uh, in these uh, playoffs and or bowl games, how a lot of times we'll see a, a guy break out uh, when Marquise Mays was injured in 2011, it was Kevin Norwood offensively uh, who really stepped forward uh, for the University of Alabama and played well. And uh, a couple years ago, we really saw Rashawn Evans and uh, Deshaun Hand, though Hand has not had the senior year everyone was hoping. Uh, both of those guys played really crucial roles in the second half, getting some heat on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, they did. And uh, you know, I expect Jeremy Pruitt to you know, try and utilize Rashawn uh, you know, in that same way. And, you know, I think to me that's another, um, you know, key, you know, I think thing to look for in this game is I fully expect Clemson um, to be able to get a, a, a significant pass rush by just using their defensive line. Um, you know, with, with a – I don't want to say a fully healthy, but with a more healthy uh, Terrell Hall and Christian Miller can, can Alabama – you know, match them with that, or does Jeremy Pruitt continue to have to blitz linebackers and DBs to generate a pass rush? I think that's going to be a big play in the game as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Alabama's going to have to generate some sort of pass rush. They're going to, and do you agree with me? I think Alabama is going to have to force two or three turnovers and mistakes from Kelly Bryant and take advantage of some short fields uh, because, as you said, uh, the last two years it was 45 to 40 and then 35 31. I think this is going to be a different type game played in the 20s. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a 17-14 game. Um, but I think that is something that, you know, they have – I think that, you know, depending on what they can generate with a pass rush, I do think they're going to have to um, stay in their pass rush lanes. Um, you know, what Kelly Bryant lacks as a passer um, in comparison to Deshaun Watson for the last two years. Uh, I do think he's faster. Um, he may not be as, as shifty, uh, but just straight ahead speed-wise, he's, he's faster than Deshaun Watson. So that's, you know, I think, something that Alabama's going to have to, uh, you know, account for as well. I think both defensive coordinators um, are going to have to account for that part of the, uh, the offense. Um, but, yeah, I don't see it being a high-scoring game here. I just, you know, barring, you know, one or both teams, you know, committing some turnovers, um, 
you know, maybe Alabama could generate some turnovers on special teams like they did against Florida State. I just don't see this being a high-scoring affair like the last two games have been. It really has. They've been more of a track meeting. Both teams have struggled uh, throwing the football somewhat. Clemson has thrown the football better than Alabama, of course, uh, for the most part. I mean, I, when you when you factor in two as numbers, I, I really think it's almost a wash. Uh, and that and that's another big topic of conversation. Uh, hearing Tua has been very sharp in bowl practices, especially when Jalen was uh, unable to practice due to the flu and did a nice job. I know, William, uh, I was asked this by uh, someone that we both know. Uh, it, uh, when you, a few weeks ago, you were saying you were the buzz you were hearing when bowl practice was about to begin or was in the process of being planned was that Tua Tungvaluwa would play. I know we're just a couple of days away from the game now. Anything new on that? Do you think we're going to see Tua in, in, in some sort of role, or do you think it's going to be Jalen's show? No, I mean, I, I'm still hearing that he's going to play now. I wish I could shed some light on, you know, is he definitely coming in on the third series of the game? You know, what if, you know, let's just play what if. You know, what if Jalen comes out and they score on the first two possessions? Then what do you do? Um, you know, this is a, a tough situation for Nick Saban to have to manage. But I think when you just, you know, look at it just from a, a football 101 standpoint, you know, unless they can get, you know, the running backs going like Bo Scarborough was um, in the first half last year. And, and even with that, you know, I still think you've got to be able to, you know, pick up some third downs. You know, you obviously you've seen how badly Alabama has been, um, you know, in third and seven plus. Obviously that's not all on Jalen Hurts. The offensive line um, shares, shares plenty of blame there as well. Um, but, but I just think, you know, you, you've got to have – you know, the opportunity to throw the football for more than 250 yards. And, you know, if Jalen Hurts can go out there and execute it and do it, then, then you know, so be it. You know, I'll, I'll be cheering him on. But I just think that, you know, having the threat of the other guy and, you know, the, the Auburn game's over with. You know, I, I think, you know, Nick Saban blew a, an opportunity to, you know, insert to into the, the fourth quarter against Auburn. Um, and I think that was a mistake. Um, so, you know, you let that one slide, you let your chance for an SEC West and an SEC championship slide. You know, this is it. It's, it's, you know, sudden death. And I think you have to do whatever you possibly can to give your team the best chance to win. And, you know, I I would say that, you know, maybe Jalen's got the first two series to make something happen. And I guess it comes down to, what happens in those first two series may or may not dictate how early uh, that Tua Tungavailoa comes into the game. But based on what I've heard, I'll be shocked if he doesn't get at least one series um, in the first half and one series in the second half. Now, based on how he does and how Jalen does, I think that could be extended into multiple series. Completely understand. And now uh, I know you've talked about you, you really don't like the matchup for Alabama with uh, the Clemson front, which is loaded with, you know, guys that are going to be, you know, first round picks and or, you know, guys that play in the NFL. Uh, and Alabama right now has Jonah Williams and Bozeman likely to get a look in the NFL. But Bozeman, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jonah Williams, the only, you know, seemingly elite prospect right now on that offensive line. If we flip the script and we look at Alabama's defensive line, which it sounds like LeBron Ray has practiced and will be healthy, uh, you know, say, and, and play a role in the game. Uh, if we, but when we look at the Alabama uh, defensive line versus the Clemson offensive line, Mitch Hyatt's a very good player. Uh, they've run the football well. Do you see Alabama having success slowing down Clemson's running game? Well, I'll tell you what, based on the last two games that I've seen against them, they better try and put their best pass rusher on somebody besides Mitch Hyatt because Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson, and those guys didn't have a lot of success against him. So, you know, they need to focus over there on the the right tackle, in my opinion. And also, too, um, I think they have uh, upgraded tremendously at the tailback position. Um, You know, the true freshman from Louisiana, I think, is uh, kind of their version. Yes, it's kind of their version of Kenyon Drake. You know, he's not a between-the-tackles, you know, beat-you-down type guy. But, man, if he gets in space and may you, he makes you miss, um, you know, he's got the burns to, uh, to take it to the house if you don't put him on the ground. So, they, they can't tackle. And I know these are he's a different kind of back than what they faced against Auburn. 
but they can't tackle as poorly as they did um, against Auburn. They've got to put him down on the ground. They've got to put Kelly on the ground when he takes off. And, you know, then, of course, you have to factor in, you know, the the, the Achilles heel, the boogeyman for Clemson, Hunter Renfro. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know what else this guy can do um, to uh, sink his legacy as, as an all-time great Clemson player. He may not do it during the season for him very much, but when it comes to the college football playoffs, specifically against the Alabama Crimson Tide, man, this guy's been huge uh, two years in a row. And I think that's, you know, him settling into space on third and six, um, you know, beating, you know, the safeties and the nickelbacks on slants uh, to extend the change is, is going to be a, a big storyline in this game um, this year, just like it has been in the last two. And now I'm going to bring Thomas Watts into this conversation. Uh, Thomas always has some unique insight. He's a huge numbers guy, uh, so he always looks for the analytical uh, angle and also can break down matchups as good as anyone. Thomas, first of all, Merry Christmas to you, sir. Welcome uh, back. We always love having you on our show and bringing in your opinions and insight. Your thoughts, uh, I know you've taken a long look at this matchup with Alabama and Clemson. Well, the first thing that jumped out to me is I am a big math guy. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a modeling guy. That's what I'm researching in my real job. So the thing that jumped out to me at first was how the numbers almost instantly favored Alabama, not just Vegas, because Vegas, and this, I want to make this quick point. Big money is rolling on Alabama. The betting public is going on Clemson which is a very interesting state of affairs. So there's obviously some split there. I'm sure Las Vegas bookies are just, you know, greedily, you know, rubbing their hands together thinking about the payday they're going to have. But analytics-wise, a lot of the, you know, the FPIs and the whatnot favored Alabama by, it was I think it's 60-40 Alabama. And that's really hard to stomach when you consider that Alabama looked really bad in November on multiple occasions. I mean, the Mississippi State game was rough. The Auburn game was rougher, etc. And Clemson, they beat the brakes off of a pretty good South Carolina football team, and they obliterated a beat-up Miami team for their last two games. But I finally figured out why the numbers were working out that way. And if you look at the games throughout Clemson's season, when they played Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia Tech had... I think more first downs and almost, and pretty much as many yards and Virginia Tech committed three turnovers. Uh, NC State flat out outplayed Clemson, controlled the ball for 35 minutes and rang up an extra 80 yards of total offense. Now Clemson won both of those games to their eternal credit. Even the common opponent looking at Alabama versus Florida, Alabama and Clemson with Florida State, Florida State was in that football game until the very end when Clemson just blew it, like tore their hearts out. And you know, that's what championship teams do. I'm not taking anything away from Clemson. But looking at it game to game, it's not like Clemson just went out and throttled teams statistically. Yeah, they'd get up 10 points and ride that pretty comfortably nine times out of 10. But it wasn't really a buried situation when they were playing somebody with a pulse. So as I looked at more of that, and I went back and watched uh, several of those games. I've been doing nothing but sit in front of my computer like a couch potato. But uh, numerically, I see why Alabama has a really good chance. I do think that William, this point deserves to be reiterated multiple times on multiple shows. Syracuse and NC State had a ton of success throwing the ball, not so much running. And if you want to really look at Syracuse, a lot of their runs were from the quarterback. So it's not conventional running. Now, yes, Alabama has Jalen Hurts, obviously. And something that I found interesting is you're starting to hear conversations coming out of anonymous SEC defensive coordinators and Clemson players about how hard Jalen Hurts has to prepare for, which I find very interesting. But back to my central point, I see why the numbers are leaning towards Alabama. I think that Alabama can take advantage of some of Clemson's defensive line tendencies. But this is a game where Alabama has to stay manageable. You know, it's okay to get three yards on first down and three yards on second down and come out with a third and four because third and eight is just a non-starter for me. 
Jalen Hurts is a magical quarterback and the superlatives and da-da-da-da-da. We can go over that ad nauseum. But I don't think the Bama offensive line will be able to hang with that front in an extended passing situation. But, you know, one final point, and then I'll kick it back to you, Drew. The way you deal with Clemson's defense, Clemson's defensive line wants to penetrate and raise raise hell. They're number one in sacks, and they generate tackles for loss on top of that at a very high rate. The way you could take advantage of that is you do delays. You delay, you counter, you trap. You do stuff to where those guys literally overrun the play. Now, it's not going to always work, but it's certainly something that you can get a lot of mileage out of should Alabama go that way. So I'm looking for more of that. I think Alabama will be able to generate some solid rushing offense against this Clemson front because for all of the wailing and gnashing of teeth, and Clemson's front is elite, don't get me wrong, Alabama still had 200 rushing yards against Auburn when they couldn't pass the ball to save their lives. So Alabama has the potential to do it, and I think they will do it. But I think the 17-14 might be a little bit low, but I'm in the 27-24, 24-20 kind of game personally. Stuff there, Thomas. And, uh, William, your thoughts on uh, his uh, the, the, maybe the using the delays and maybe even a little bit of misdirection and some things of that nature. Your thoughts on if would that would you think that would be successful against Clemson? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think obviously um, the, the way to attack any, you know, penetrating defensive front um, is, is exactly, you know, draw screens, traps, counters. Um, you know, I went back and charted every running play against Auburn. Uh, they run the same defense, basically, just not quite as talented up front. Um, and, and Alabama, either via slant runs with the running backs, um, you know, zone read keepers outside the tackle box with Jalen Hurts or, or screen passes. Ran the ball outside the tackle box against Auburn 18 times. And only one time, one play, did it not pick up positive yards. Uh, the other 17 plays that did averaged five-plus on every attempt. So, you know, I think the recipe's there. Uh, I think the recipe was there last year. Um, you know, that, that slant play that Bo was having so much success with in the first half that inexplicably Steve Sarkeesian only decided to dial it up one time in the second half and Damian Harris picked up 12 yards on it. Um, you know, there's no crime in running a play over and over again until somebody makes you do it differently. You know, the same way that Al- uh, Auburn, um, you know, beat Alabama. You know, bubble screen, bubble screen, bubble screen. You know, on third and four, we're going to run a delayed slant toward the the vacated DB that's blitzing came from. Um, You know, it's not a complicated game. And sometimes I wonder why whatever offensive coordinator is employed at Alabama tends to try and make it more complicated than it needs to be. Very, very good thoughts there, William. And I do think Alabama needs to try to concentrate on running uh, outside the tackles. No doubt about that. I think. Uh, they have the ability uh, with Damian Harris, uh, Bo Scarborough, who hopefully will be healthier than he looked against Auburn, and he really gave Clemson a lot of problems. Josh Jacobs as well. And I hope uh, they, with the passing game, that they try to get the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands as quickly as possible, uh, you know, crossing routes, uh, quick, quick, uh, you know, even the, the, uh, the, the quick uh, screen to the running back or the wide receiver, those are really like extra running plays. And the quick game, I think, really helped Jalen last year, and they haven't run as much of that this year. But uh, I also think, uh, because of matchups and the extra attention of Calvin Ridley, uh, that someone like Irv Smith, who you know we've uh, we know we everyone thought OJ didn't touch it enough last year. Irv Smith, when he's had his opportunities, has made plays. Uh, I think uh, we we've seen Clemson give up big plays to OJ for two straight years. Uh, Irv Smith. Uh, to me is probably the most dynamic of the tight ends. I think he's going to be in some matchups where he can make some plays. Yeah, and, and that the what you were alluding to, um, the swing passes um, to the uh, to the running backs against Auburn were very effective. Um, but, you know, I, I think they averaged seven to eight yards of a pickup. Um, you know, all three of them, Harris, Jacobs, and Scarborough, um, were effective doing that. Again, I don't know why the tight end 
um, you know, has not been more involved, um, you know, in, in the game plan this year. You know, I think that's a, a position. And certainly I totally agree with you that, that Herb Smith is the, the dynamic athlete of the bunch. Um, you know, they, they should give him six or seven targets a game. You know, those are short, you know, less than 10-yard passes. Um, you know, typically, you know, if they're, they're, they're dialed up the right way, um, the guy's going to be open due to play action, you know, and, you know, on a bootleg from the backside. So, um, you, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Um, just, just go out there and, you know, put these guys in a position where they can make plays. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this for three months now. You know, if you're not going to design an offense that Jalen Hurts is capable of executing, and I'm the biggest Jalen Hurts fan in the world, but he is not a guy that is capable of executing an empty backfield, five-wide receiver uh, offense. If that's what you want, then you need to go ahead and let Tua be the quarterback. Um, but that that's where my frustration lies. If you're not going to make the change – and put the guy in there that can execute the offense, then at least make an effort to construct a scheme or a game plan that the starter is capable of executing at a high level. That's, that's I guess, where my frustration is. Well, uh, we, we might have lost her or he muted himself, William. Uh, uh, you know, an interesting thing about Irv Smith that's been bouncing around in my head I want to see Dayball try and pick on the linebacker group for Clemson pretty early to see what it looks like. Because if you go back and you talk about the O.J. Howard having the game of his existence against Clemson over the past two years, not only was he able to make plays, it was he was so wide open that the next closest guy was you and me in the stands eating our nachos and popcorn. So, right. so, you know, look at, I, you know, see if a Dorian O'Daniel or a Trey Lamar or a whoever is out there, are they going to over-pursue? Because you know Clemson's going to want to get downhill against the Alabama rushing attack. And, you know, I, Jalen Hurts might not be the most fantastic quarterback in terms of throwing the ball, but he can darn sure hit a, quarter, a guy that's running 10 yards open. So, exactly. I want I want to see a little bit of that because, again, Clemson's defense is really, really good. I think you can take nothing away from that group. But a lot of what they do is very aggression-based. you got to take advantage of that. And I would love to see, you know, let's see how these linebackers handle covering a guy. And, you know, Irv Smith's a pretty big cat at 6'4". I want to see a linebacker try and cover him one-on-one when, you know, Alabama might crack a play action or there's a lot of stuff where you can have that moment of indecision. But, uh, no, I, I just I wanted to expand on that, William, real quick. And uh, finally, you know, we did talk defense a little bit. How, how big a deal is the health of this Alabama linebacking group to you? I know Jeremy Pruitt said he's excited. I know Drew mentioned it as well. You know, how big a deal is that to you coming into this game? Well, you know, it's still kind of an unknown to me, Thomas. I mean, if you go back to the last time that they were fully healthy, you know, you saw them against a, a very bad, you know, even, even if DeAndre Francois doesn't get knocked out for the season, uh, you know, against Alabama in the first game of the year, they're, they're still a three or a four loss ball club, um, in my opinion. And, you know, they were able to get after uh, Francois in that game. But, you know, Clemson, I mean, a Florida State's offensive line is horrible. Um, you know, there's a reason that Jimbo Fisher didn't take uh, Rick Trickett with him to Texas A&M and, and, and Trickett finally retired. I mean, he just hung around too long and the games passed him by. Um, th- that, to me, is the big question. I mean, you know, you saw them against Auburn. And albeit, I don't care what anybody says, I don't think they were 100%, but they were not effective at all getting a, you know, a good pass rush. I mean, I think, um, you know, with a healthy Mac Wilson, but him and Rashawn Evans and, you know, Deron Payne will be able to control things between the tackles and, and, you know, make things difficult for them to rush between the tackles. I think what you have to watch out for with them in the running game is Eatine popping one to the outside, 
Um, you know, on third third down, the, the pass rushers getting out of their pass rushing lanes and, and Kelly taking off, which he's very good at doing. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got some questions in my mind about just how effective, you know, this, you know, if you could tell me right now that, you know, we were going to be able to at least pressure. I don't, I'm not even talking about putting them on the ground, which is always, um, you know, I, that's one thing that I've always disagreed with Nick Saban on, two things. Um, going back to, you know, when he was, you know, infatuated with the sky kick uh, on, on kickoffs and, you know, giving the guys an opportunity to run down there and create a turnover. Well, the best way I know of to not have a, uh, a kickoff returned on is to kick it out of the back of the end zone. That ends the debate. Um, certainly you don't get a turnover off of it, but it totally eliminates the other team from, uh, you know, making a big return. I mean, a, a comeback and uh, starting at the 25 is not a bad thing for your defense. Um, and also too, I mean, yeah, affecting the quarterback is great, uh, but putting his ass on the ground and getting a tackle for a loss, um, is even better. And, you know, we just, I just have a, a serious doubt in my mind as to whether or not that's something they can consistently do. If they can, um, I think there's a chance that they could force, uh, Kelly into, uh, you know, making some bad throws, possibly creating some turnovers. Um, you know, that could change the complexity of the game. But, you know, this is a different offense. Um, you know, you don't have Deshaun Watson back there. You don't have, you know, Mike Williams back there. Um, they still have some threats. Um, like I said, I mean, you know, Eatine's a great young running back. Um, Kelly can make plays. And they've still got Deion Kane. Uh, but I think you brought up a great point to me. I think 90% of the difference makers on Clemson's defense are on that defensive line. As you go backwards in the back end of that defense, I think Trey Lamar um, is a really good player. I'm not sure if he's elite. And, you know, I don't see a Minka Fitzpatrick or a Derwin James back there in, in Clemson's secondary. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty evenly matched game. I don't think anybody – um, with an IQ north of 70, is predicting one team uh, to blow the other one out. I think it's going to be a very closely contested game that goes deep into the fourth quarter. Thanks, Thomas, for the uh, pick-me-up there. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I really enjoyed your uh, comments and, and also William's, uh, uh, you know, uh, knowledge and insight into what you guys were talking about. And, uh, you know, to me, I just think with this with this Alabama football team, I think they're going to have success running the ball. They've they've run the ball pretty well on everybody they've played. Uh, it's just, and I've you know been on this you know beating this drum for weeks now, but I just think it's going to come down to you know kind of what William just talked about. I think there's uh, some weakness in that Clemson back seven, especially the secondary. Uh, Alabama took a lot of advantage of it uh, with Jake Coker and uh, you know OJ Howard and some excellent scheming uh, by Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, uh, t- two years ago and made some big plays. And uh, Coker, I still don't think Jake gets enough credit for how well he played in the college football playoff against both Clemson and Michigan State. And I think he was the big uh, key to winning that game because he provided the balance. But Alabama has got to find a way, and I think it's with Tua playing some, to create 180 to 200 yards passing to create balance against this Clemson uh, defense. Because, And I do think Alabama needs to control the football uh, Mississippi State controlled the time of possession. Auburn did. I think Alabama needs to find a way to to convert on third down uh, and, and and hold this football 30-plus minutes to win this game. And, uh, William, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, you just you – were, you were talking about Jake two years ago and it just something we haven't talked about all year, really, but I think now it's when, when you've got a full body to, you know, look at um, – you know, we saw him do it here for three years. But but if anybody doesn't think that Lane Kiffin is an elite play caller, um, please go and watch it, what he did as his first year at Florida Atlantic this year. It was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and again, it was like watching Alabama with lesser talented players uh, executing it the few times that I got to see him, see him play. But, man, I mean, just the, the way that guy calls a football game, and don't get me wrong, we all know the – the negatives and the baggage that comes along with it. But I, I got to be honest, um, that being said, I, I was really shocked. Um, and maybe he has to do it, you know, one more year 
Uh, maybe some people want to see him do it over a two or a three season span, you know, because he did kind of take the Jackie Sherrill route this year and load up with a bunch of JUCO guys. But I was surprised at some schools like a Mississippi State um, that, that, you know, you didn't see really make a run at Wayne after the season that he had. I think the guy um, is going to get a big-time job inside the next 24 months without a doubt. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I, he had his faults, and, you know, I think he, he his lack of focus blew the national championship last year in 15-0. and 0, But, I, you know, I always said he did a really good job at Alabama. It was just time for him to go. But he was an outstanding at Florida Atlantic this year. I think if he has another year where they win the Conference USA, uh, he'll get another opportunity. He signed the 10-year contract for like $17 million, but, you know, I think uh, he, there'll be a, a very manageable buyout. He's going to get an opportunity to run a big-time program if he just continues uh, to avoid any off-field controversy uh, besides Twitter uh, because that's probably never going to change. But I just I think Lane, you know, did an outstanding job. And, and the thing is, and we've seen it now on the NFL level, William, because Coach Sarkeesian took over a ready-made offense with the Falcons and they have not been nearly as potent as they were, uh, you know, under Coach Shanahan, who's now the head coach, Kyle Shanahan, of the San Francisco 49ers. To me, uh, you know, Sarkeesian may be really good with quarterbacks and development, but there's something special, and Coach Saban has referenced it before when he hires offensive coordinators about being a play caller and having a gift for it. There is no doubt that Lane Kiffin is an elite schemer and play caller, uh, and uh, does a really good job in those two areas. He can recruit well when he wants to, but I'm telling you, he is an elite schemer and play caller, and I think that's what put it, puts him in, you know, uh, you know, as far as, in my opinion, uh, in a class above Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, no disrespect to Coach Sark, but I think we realize why Alabama lost that national championship game last year because his play calling left much to be desired after that game, and the Falcons, for just really to be honest with you, have been very lackluster offensively this year in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I don't keep up with the NFL, but I've, you know, I've got enough friends that are, you know, Falcons fans, and it sounds like they want to run him out of the, run him out of town as quickly as Nick Saban did after the Clemson game last year. But it's, you know, and one of the reasons I was bringing, you know, Lane up, um, you know, something that's really kind of, you know, exploded this month, um, you know, is the Nick Saban coaching tree. You know, you've got really must champ, I think, uh, you know, doing a pretty good job over at South Carolina. You know, I think if they can, you know, recruit just a little bit better, um, you know, certainly Kirby Smart, you know, at Georgia and Jeremy Pruitt coming in at Knoxville is going to hurt them a little bit, I think. Um, but, you know, Will's doing a solid job at South Carolina. You know, it looks like, uh, you know, Kirby's a year ahead of schedule at Georgia. I mean, now you've got Pruitt and Knoxville, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal. You know, I don't think you know anybody you know would think he had a chance at that job. You know, if he hadn't spent three years on the the Alabama coaching staff that he did under Nick Saban. So that that Nick Saban coaching tree, um, I, I haven't seen a lot of talk about it in the media. But you know, if Lane can get a job in the next two years, and all those guys are, you know, still employed at where they currently are, I mean, that that's going to be a I don't know if you've ever seen that type of uh, uh, coaching tree. I'm trying to think, you know, Danny Ford and Charlie Pell under Coach Bryant. No, I mean, I, I can't ever remember. Steve Sloan. That there's been, yeah, been this many disciples of a certain head coach with big-time head coaching jobs. Oh, I don't think there's any question. And then before we kind of continue with the conversation with Alabama, your thoughts on some of the speculation about Jeremy Pruitt perhaps – we know he tried to hire Tosh Deploy. That didn't happen. Maybe hiring Scott Cochran uh, as his strength coach. I don't think that's a possibility at all. Um, either. Me either. You know, if, 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 if Scott was going to leave, he'd go over to, to Athens with Kirby. Um, you know, their families are very close. Uh, they share a lake house together. Um, I, I just don't see um, that taking place. Um you know, if, if there was something fundamentally out of whack um, and he was unhappy all of a sudden in Tuscaloosa, he could pick up the phone and Kirby would, you know, pay him what he's making now. But that, that's not going to happen. You know, the uh, you know I think initially, um, you know, 
and I'm glad that he didn't because I don't think this guy's worth a damn. But I think uh, Jeremy was going to try and hire uh, the FSU strength and conditioning coach, Vic Valorio. Um, and there's been some uh, uh, baggage that's popped up in his background check that I think prevented that from happening. So I don't know what direction uh, Jeremy's going to go in. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him hire somebody off of, you know, one of Cochran's underlings in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, to just bring the, you know, the fourth quarter program up there to Knoxville. But, you know, th- that's, I think, probably one of the most overrated things about college football is, you know, only Nick Saban could turn a freaking weight room coach into a celebrity. Um, you know, it's not rocket science. And, and you know, Nick Saban uh, won a national championship and was very successful uh, with Tommy Moffat at LSU. There's, there's one uh, – constant here it's Nick Saban it's Nick's you know if you've got a head coach that requires the players to lift heavy objects uh eat a lot of good calories you're going to have a successful strength and conditioning program there is no magic potion well there is but there's rules in place to kind of prevent that from happening um but but that's just not people have made this thing with Cochran into some sort of uh, Hollywood tabloid type deal and it's you know look I give the guy all the credit in the world. He's taking the thing and run with it. But I could go find you five other guys right now in the country that could do the same job. And I agree. I think uh, Scott Cochran has done an outstanding job at Alabama. And, you know, I don't see him leaving, but uh, it is the head coach behind the strength. And that's why if you, if you have a, a strong head coach, that's why you have a, a really good strength and conditioning program. I uh, completely agree with that. And, William, I did want to talk a little recruiting with you because the early signing period has come and gone uh, since, you know, we were, we were able to last speak. Uh, Alabama did add a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, he did not sign officially, uh, but everything is sounding very good uh, with uh, Carl Dunbar and especially Tosh Lupoy doing a lot of work with a mother, uh, Bobby Brown from Lamar High School in Fort Worth, Texas, committing to Alabama would be a huge piece of the puzzle to this defensive line class, which They'll probably add one more piece, you know, looking at Malik Langham, Tyler Friday, maybe a Dorian Gerald in junior college. We'll see kind of where that goes. I think they want to add one more piece. But your thoughts on the 15 signees uh, and then Bobby Brown committing, and then we, we saw Quay Walker and Vernon Jackson, two commitments that did not sign. Uh, they're both still publicly committed. Interesting tweet. Actually, have signed, but they haven't released it. May, not February, but just your thoughts on this signing period for Alabama and and where they're going to go from here. Well, I think first of all, you know, getting two guys like Bobby Brown and Christian Barmore, um, you know, in the fold, I think really allows Alabama to because you know they've already got some elite guys at defensive end. Um, you know, the three guys that they've got for, for the inside positions, Barmore, Bobby Brown, and, and Stephon Wynn, I think they'd like – you'd probably like to see them add one more guy with Bobby Brown's flexibility that can play inside or outside. Um, I really like the Friday kid. Um, he's, he's a real quick twitch guy. Uh, but, you know, getting those two guys I think really allows Alabama to sit back and be very selective um, who they add to the final piece of the puzzle. You know, when you've got two guys – like Jordan Davis and a Noma on the outside. And I've, I've you know, had some people tell me that some people think that a Noma is the, the number one overall player um, in the country that's not a quarterback in this class. Um, you know, very special talent that's got a chance to be an elite player um, at the SEC level. Jordan Davis as well as he continues to add some solid size. Um, I think they've done a really good job of um, – getting those defensive line guys in there that can really play at a high level. They've taken some shots um, and probably will continue to with the possibility of Quay Walker uh, flipping. Maybe J.J. Peterson goes elsewhere. Uh, But I think, you know, that's a position that Alabama's done such a great job of recruiting at that they can afford to have some misses at the linebacker position in this class. The other position that they can't afford to have any misses on and much like the defensive line, they've done a great job early uh, of getting some, some solid defensive backs in. Um, you know, they've already got two guys in Jalen Armour Davis and Savion Smith 
that the coaching staff feels like can help them next year um, and come in and play early. And that's really what they needed back there um, with the departures of, of basically the whole defensive backfield. Um, well, I guess you can't say that now that Deontay Thompson is taking over for Hootie Jones, but you know what I mean. So I think at least on the defensive side of the ball, Alabama has really gone out and met their needs. And I think, you know, that's the number one goal of, of any college coaching staff every year. Yeah, it's great to go out there and sign, you know, 24 and five-star football players. But if you're not filling those needs at certain positions where you really need guys, um, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I think this, this class, you know, flipping over to the other side of the football, um, you know, he's got some guys in there that are really underrated that are going to be very good SEC football players. Um, the tight end from up there in your neck of the woods, Drew, uh, Michael, was it Michael Parker? Yes. Yeah, Parker, the tight end, and then Slade Bolden, the uh, dynamic offensive talent that's coming in from Louisiana. Um, you know, can play a little running back, can play slot wide receiver, played quarterback in high school. Uh, just a tremendous athlete. I think both of those guys are very underrated and undervalued by the recruiting services. And I'll tell you this, uh, they had an ESPN high school football showcase last weekend, William. Uh, it was a lot of state champions from around the country playing against each other. Uh, Bingham from Utah played, and they were ranked eighth in the country, right? played St. Francis of Baltimore, Maryland, who was ranked 11th. Let's just say it was a mismatch. It was 41-3. to St. Francis, and Ayabi Anoma was completely dominant. I mean, he is a freak of nature. You can just see it. He was playing right defensive end for them, but he was pressuring the quarterback. He had some sacks. Uh, he's an unbelievable prospect. He truly looked like a five-star, and I agree with you. I think he's probably the best player in this class. It was huge to sign him early, and he's going to be an early enrollee, uh, going to wear number nine to the Crimson Tide, going to take Deshaun Hand's number, uh, and, uh, you know, much like he did at St. Francis, he's only played football two years. He came off the basketball court, transferred into St. Francis, who has an outstanding coaching staff, who uh, the coaching staff from Gilman over in Baltimore took over that program. And St. Francis is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, and Ayabi Anoma, you got to give a lot of credit to Michael Oxley, who knows all those coaches over there. They did an outstanding job with him. And you just have to kind of salivate at the thought of what Tosh Lupoy might be able to do with that young man. Oh, is, is the uh, the uh, Pogi guy over there now? Well, you know, I thought so, and then somebody told me that he was on the staff in Michigan. I haven't double checked that. I was thinking that he was on that staff, but not he was maybe as a co-head coach uh, at okay. St. Francis. I'm going to have to double check it. But as you know, Alabama's recruited that area pretty well the last several years in Baltimore. They got Cyrus Jones out of there as well. Uh, so uh, I will have to go back and see, uh, but uh, I, I haven't confirmed that yet. I've heard both versions, uh, but uh, I know you're talking about Biff Pogey, and uh, he's had a, he put a lot of players in big-time programs, and that St. Francis team, they beat the brakes off of that team from Utah. And to me, uh, it would be hard for me to find five other high school teams in the country uh, that were as good as them. Last, they went 13-0 and this year. Their last loss was – at the end of last season when they lost to IMG. They were supposed to play IMG early this season, but the game got canceled due to the hurricane. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something, you know, going all the way back five and six years ago, I think that Alabama's done a tremendous job. Um, you know, Lance Thompson, Mario Cristobal, uh, Tosh LePoy, Mike Loxley, um, even to a lesser extent now Joe Panunzio, have done a great job along that eastern seaboard, you know, getting guys like Deshaun Hand, John Allen, uh, Anthony Averett, Minka Fitzpatrick, now a Noma. There's a freak show up there next year. Um, I know his first name's Shane. I think his last name's Jones, or I could be. It's still early for that. But there's, a, there's another uh, Terrell Hall, Jonathan Allen, you know, a Noma-type player that's a five-star, top-ten-type talent. Um, up there for next year that Alabama's already heavily pursuing, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker type. So um, it, it's an area that, you know, doesn't produce a lot of uh, great high school football programs. But, man, it turns out, you know, big-time college and pro football players on an annual basis. And it's good to see, you know, Alabama, um, you know, it's had that area covered very well by some, some prolific recruiters over the last five or six years. 
And this is why Thomas Watts is the man. Uh, we were right on both accounts. Uh, Biff Pogge spent a year at Michigan, but came back and is now at St. Francis. So as, as I okay. thought, he is part of that coaching staff. Uh, St. Francis has a machine going right now. Uh, and uh, Yabi Anoma, who thought he was a Division One basketball player, but as his coaches told him, if you come play football, you, your your offers will come. And the amazing part, about a year ago, William, around this time, is when he started getting his first offers. He didn't have any at the start of his junior year because no one knew about him. But in just over a you know uh, uh, two years' time, or really a year's time, uh, Yabi Anoma has become one of the top five players in the country. And it just shows if you go to the right program and have freakish athletic ability, even if you're not a, a completely polished football player, which he's not yet, uh, it's pretty scary, you know, maybe what Nick Saban and, and Tosh Lipoy could do with him. Because I think the best part of Nick Saban's program is the player development. Uh, you've seen how many guys they've put in the NFL. Uh, and, and he's going to be a need, William, because as you just have stated in our program today, one of the big uh, things with Alabama this year, injuries had a lot to do with that too, but they need more pass rush from the outside. Yeah, and I think it's coming, you know, with, with Anoma and, and Jordan Davis, you know, a guy like Cameron Latu, um, you know, talking about these guys that, that start, you know, play the first two years of basketball. You know, we saw that last year in Alabama's class with the, the elite wide receiver from Montgomery, Henry Ruggs. Um, me personally, I'm pulling to see the, the same happy ending happened uh, with the defensive lineman from up there in Huntsville, uh, Malik Langham, who, who, you know, thought of himself as a, a D1 college basketball player. Um, you know, when you look at his frame, his arm length, you know, the fact that he basically hasn't touched a weight so far um, in his high school career, I think he's a guy that could really, you know, I'm not trying to say right now that he's at the same level as a, a Deron Payne or a Jonathan Allen, but man, the, the upside is there for him to become a very good uh, SEC defensive lineman. And I think, uh, you know, at least I'm hoping that Alabama, if they can't get Tyler Friday, then that's the guy that I think that, uh, that you take. And I really hope that happens uh, selfishly because of my neck of the woods. And also because Alabama right now, Michael Parker, uh, Jalen Armour Davis, the only two kids from in state, hoping that they add two more uh, before February in Malik Langham and Justin Ross, the wide receiver from Central Phoenix City. I know there's been a lot of talk about Clemson, uh, but I think Alabama's still you know, definitely in the fight uh, with uh, for Justin Ross. He hasn't been on his official visit yet. Jalen Waddell still giving Alabama some positive feedback. Looks like Panay Suell could go to Oregon, and if so, it's, once again, we all know what kind of recruiter Mario Cristobal is. But I think Alabama could still get Nicholas Petit-Friere. They need to get him on campus. They're supposed to get him in for a visit in January. Could be the best offensive tackle in the country. You've heard William talk about him uh, from the Tampa, Florida area. And if Alabama could hit it out of the park, on the, especially with the academic presentation, he Williams, their apparent at West Tackle. Of course, and then Alec Leatherwood is very good as well. And we'll see where Jedrick Wills fits in. Is he going to be a tackle? Is he going to move to center? Uh, in the spring so that there's a lot of things going on but uh, we are wrapping up our show the last couple of minutes here on bams radio i'm going to give my final prediction uh we uh and i guess we all will here as we close it down i'm going alabama 27 to 20 over clemson i just think they with this rest getting healthier they're going to play as good a defensive game as they played against florida like they did against fsu when they had uh, all their pieces they're going to have most of them against uh, the clemson tigers I think they're going to find a way to force two or three turnovers and generate with I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say two of plays in this game and helps Alabama generate 180 to 200 passing yards. I think Alabama controls the clock, uh, holds the ball for 30, 30 minutes or so. And then, you know, I think keeps the turnovers either to none or to one or less and finds a way to win this game played in the 20s, 27 to 20 to move on to the national championship game. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with Alabama. My my standout players. I'm going to go with uh, you know I'm going to go with uh, Damian Harris. I think he's going to have a big game for Alabama, both running and catching. I would say 150 total yards, uh, maybe a couple of TDs for number 34. Uh, I do think both Scarborough is going to play a role in the game. He had some success against them last year. Defensively, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy like Terrell Lewis. I think uh, he can have a breakout game for Alabama. 
as an outside pass rusher. We never really have seen him uh, since the FSU game at his uh, best. So I think Terrell Lewis, who a lot of people think is a future first-round pick, will be the defensive MVP, get a couple sacks. Uh, you know, with, with that long wingspan, maybe get some deflected passes, maybe play a part in a turnover. And I think the Crimson Tide move on uh, to another national championship game uh, for the third straight season. And now I'm going to throw it to William, let him give his prediction, and then let Thomas go on the record once again. Well, I mean, I think I've said for the last two weeks, I don't really – this is the first game since 2008 versus Florida that, you know, I just haven't been walking around thinking that, that Alabama's going to win it, you know, and, and there's no no point in even fretting about it. But my fret level's up. Um, you'll never hear me publicly uh, predict Alabama to lose a game. So I'm going to go 24-21 Alabama. Uh, my players of the game on offense – I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you, Drew, and I'm I'm, I'm basing this on uh, them actually giving Damian more than six touches that he had against Auburn. But I'm gonna go with Damian Harris on offense, and I'm gonna go with the proven commodity uh, three years in a row versus the Clemson Tigers. I'm going with Sean Evans on defense. Nice. Well, uh, I I have been going back and forth about this this game for essentially since the loss to Auburn, because I thought this was how it would shake out. And I've been leaning Clemson, leaning Clemson, leaning Clemson. But I I think that Alabama is going to find a way to win this game. I think it's going to be a four-quarter brawl. It is going to be a four-quarter fight, and we're all going to wake up on January the 2nd and be able to look at that game and realize that it's going to tur- completely turn on its head on three or four plays, and you know one way or the other. I'm going to take Alabama 27-24. My offensive player of the game, I'm going to go Jalen Hurts because I think that guy has gotten some fair criticism, but I also think the criticism's a little overboard. And you want to talk about you know putting your uh, putting your name up in lights coming out and winning the third iteration of this crazy rivalry. I think Jalen Hurts is going to get it done. This defense can be had through the air, and that that's going to be the thing for offense. Defensively, though, of the three linebackers that were healthy, I think Mac Wilson is far and away the most important. And it's not because of the injury to Dylan Moses, though admittedly Dylan Moses' injury does make it a bigger deal. Mac Wilson was already the middle linebacker in the dime. And he's going to play that a lot of that. He'll play a lot of nickel because that's what Clemson's going to want to attack this Alabama defense in. Clemson's not going to play this game in a phone booth. They're going to spread them out, and Alabama's going to be in defenses where Mac Wilson has been not just effective, but in some cases outstanding. So give me Jalen Hurts on offense and Mac Wilson on defense. And, uh, I can't wait for this game to be going because I've got my tickets and uh, I will be there and I will be screaming my head off. So, Drew, if I'm on your program the next day, I might have a frog in my throat, but hopefully it's a happy frog. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully so. And uh, it's been a great hour of BAMS Radio uh, as we are wrapping up this show. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. We'll come to you after uh, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide take the field. Hopefully, uh, talking about the national championship matchup with either Georgia or Oklahoma. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I like Oklahoma in that game, but I think it could go either way. I think both of them are both Alabama, Clemson, and then uh, the Rose Bowl with Georgia and Oklahoma are fascinating matchups. It's been a pleasure uh, to bring you this BAMS radio here on this Friday afternoon, uh, December the 29th. Uh, we are, we appreciate everyone for listening. We always love our listeners and the feedback we get. Thomas Watts has really made this possible. We really appreciate him. We always appreciate William Barger's uh, contributions and time with us. Uh, but we hope you uh, enjoyed our program. Roll Tide. Hopefully everybody have a safe journey to New Orleans. If not, you'll be, everyone will be watching it on TV closely uh, in uh, hoping Alabama uh, can claim the third chapter in this budding rivalry and move on to the national championship game to try to win number 17. Big step for Alabama coming up and a huge opportunity in this college football playoff that they've reached four years in a row. I will be in Tuscaloosa tomorrow for Alabama basketball versus Texas A&M. They're going to try to you know, pick up the pieces after getting throttled on December the 22nd by Texas. I still think this Alabama basketball team has the potential to make the NCAA tournament. Very talented squad. 
They just ran into another talented one, had an off night. Hopefully it was a huge wake-up call going into this matchup with number five, Texas A&M, who uh, will be without uh, some key talent, uh, in, uh, including D.J. Hogue, uh, their leading scorer. But Alabama, I, th- I think, is going to try. We'll find a way to get the job done. I think they're a proud team, even though they're young, and will hopefully bounce back in their SEC basketball opener. But we will be there tomorrow. But everyone, Happy New Year once again. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Roll Tide. And we'll be coming to you next week, breaking down uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Clemson Tigers in the aftermath with hopefully a berth in the national championship game coming up. And uh, for my co-hosts, uh, William Barger and Thomas Watts, everybody have a great rest of your 2017. We'll see you next year and Roll Tide.